those the opportunity to grab sermon notes as you have that opportunity to look at those. I'm just going to talk a little bit about this uh, Wednesday night. Uh, if you are here, then you know what's going on with the lampstand and the lamp. Two separate things, okay? So that's important to make that distinction because in our culture, we put those two things together, the, the candle and the lamp, right, or the lamp and the stand. These are two separate things. So uh, I'm going to read a verse for you. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said, who are the seven spirits of God? And you can go listen to the lecture or the talk. I don't know if it's a lecture, but uh, the talk on Wednesday night to figure out the answer to that uh, or why the answer is what I'm going to give you right now. Uh, Revelation 4, 5 says, from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunders. Before the throne of God, there were seven burning, seven burning, burning, there were burning seven lamps of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Those seven lamps of, of fire represent the Holy Spirit and his sevenfold work and of anointing of Christ. And so today I'm going to light this lamp to remind us of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. Maybe I'm going to light it. It's olive oil, so it doesn't really want to light. There we go. And it goes on the lampstand. The lampstand represents the churches. Revelation 1.20, if you want to read that, that's what it says. He says, the mystery of the seven stars and the seven lampstand. The seven stars represent the seven angels of the seven churches. And the lampstands represent the church. What do the lampstands represent? The church. This is very important. It represents the church. It doesn't represent an individual. It doesn't represent an individual's salvation. It represents a, a church, a local church. Ephesus, Smona, us. Okay? A church. You, got, you understand that? This is important to all the letters to the seven churches, which we're about to jump into. We're going to go into Ephesus. Sometimes, just use a podium. Kindle love. That's what we're talking about today, kindle love. How to love while enduring persecution and defending the faith. How to love while enduring persecution and defending the faith. Well, when America, we're a majority. That's just a reality. We're becoming a minority, but we are a majority. And we need to ask ourselves, as we engage opposition to our faith, how do we respond? How do we respond to that opposition? As a minority, you're kind of powerless. As a majority, you have a lot of power. And so how do we respond? As the American church, to the opposition that we face in America. Now, it's really super mild compared to Syria, China, right? I mean, Christians are now persecuted more than than any other time in history, but not in America. How do we kindle love while enduring persecution and defending the faith? And, and 
Jesus begins to unpack this for us. And, and we need to ask ourselves this question, as a church, are we loving? Are we winsome? Maybe we have good, correct doctrine, but we have forgotten how to apply it. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. Revelate, oh, well, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. Sorry. We got to remember what Jesus' outline is for Revelation because I want you to get this down. Jesus told John to write what was Jesus, the glorified Christ. He told him to write what is the seven churches. Okay, so two through three, that's what we're is. This is what is the seven churches. Then he told him to write what will be, right? The seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bulls. The, the judgment of Jesus upon the world, the judgment of God. Jesus is involved in this judgment. This judgment is upon pagans, unsaved people, people who have not confessed Jesus is Lord. Okay? And they still have the opportunity to confess. But as we go through Revelations, we'll see that the majority of them said, no, I'd rather die. Okay, now Revelation 2.1. So we're in what is. This is the section of what is, the very beginning. And remember, Revelation references Old Testament a lot. It references itself a lot. So we need to be familiar. And it references the New Testament a lot. Revelation 2.1 says, To the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? To the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who are the seven stars? The angels to the seven churches, right? Right hand. Sorry, right hand. Get a right. Your right hand, my right. I've always had that confused. So, in his right hand, the hand of fellowship, the hand of power, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. What is the lampstand? The church, okay? So he's amongst the churches, right? And he holds seven stars in his right hand, which are the seven angels which are sent to be ministering spirits to local churches. We have an angel that's in charge of our church, okay? And he ministers in our church. That's what Revelation teaches, in my opinion. Some people try to conflate it with the Holy Spirit, the seven spirits, uh, seven angels or the, or the same seven spirits that are before God's throne, which are the seven eyes of God. And I think that conflation is not uh, congruent. That's a big word. Not in agreement. That's a better word uh, for understanding. Not in agreement with the text, mainly because of Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, which lists both the seven spirits and the seven angels in the same sentence as two separate things. Two separate. I mean, there's a lot of spirits, right? So... So what is the city of Ephesus known for? It's a pagan city. It's the capital of uh, Asia Minor, the, uh, the, what would be now known as uh, modern-day Turkey. They worshipped over 50 gods. They're pagans. The citizens rioted in Acts chapter 19. You can read about it. They, they rioted over the, uh, the Christian faith growing so large that they were losing their funds uh, by selling silver idols to the goddess of Artemis, or Diana, sorry, Diana, uh, a fertility goddess, right? So idolatry, fornication, this is like huge in this city. 
right? And it says uh, in 1 Corinthians that Paul fought beasts in Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus is also, this is not on there, but Ephesus is John, the apostle who's writing this book. That's where he's based. Of course, he's now exiled where? To the island of Patmos, right? right? So, but this is his hometown here. This is where he ministered out of. It's a hub for that whole continent, a whole area. Roads go everywhere out of Ephesus, and it's on, a, on the coast. So it's also a seaport, okay? First church, Ephesus, a pagan environment, losing property, most likely, enduring persecution, definitely, for their faith. I have kids uh, drying these photos, uh, these pictures for me, and they're doing an excellent job. I'm so uh, proud of them. Whose words are being written? I'd encourage you to open your Bibles and be, have that text in front of you, because once it goes away on the slide, it's not going to be there. But if you have it open, then you're going to be able to see. Write the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the lampstand. Who is that? Say it for me. It's Jesus. Jesus' words are being written. That's, that's major, right? That's reminding us that this is serious stuff, that we better pay attention. We better hear what the Spirit has to say in the words of Jesus to the churches. So Jesus' words are being written. So what do the seven stars represent? Seven angels, ministering angels to the seven churches, to, to the churches, local churches. What do the seven lampstands represent? The churches, all right? And if you want to look at that, that's Revelation 120. He says, Jesus directly says that that's these symbolic representation of these things. Now, in apocalyptic literature, there is a lot of imagery. That's how they communicate. That's how they talk. So you have to, we want to be able to understand the imagery to understand the message, okay? Jesus says to the churches, or Jesus' words to the churches through the Holy Spirit is, I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not. And have found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Wow. I wish you could say that about me. I get a cold and I grow weary. I get a backache and I grow weary. I'm like, what? Why are you doing this? Come on, be nice. Yeah? But they have endured persecution. They have defended the faith. He, his commendations to them are you have toil and endurance with patience and persecution without weariness. <laughs> what? Wow. Who wants Jesus to say that about them? Yeah, I want, we all do. That is awesome. 
Blessed are those who are persecuted, Matthew 5.10, for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Blessed. We don't have this, uh, this perspective in the American church. We don't. I fight for this perspective in my own life every single day. But this is what Jesus is commending them for. You patiently endure. You don't grow weary. You keep your eyes fixed on the prize, which is me. Secondly, they cannot bail with evil people. They defend the faith. They defend the faith. You ever uh, get in a debate with somebody about doctrine? Yeah? And you did a really good job, and you know what you know, and you're totally convinced about it? And you're just going to die on that hill no matter what? Ever been there? I've been there. Yeah. And they, they know their doctrine. They're, they're defending the faith, and they're doing a good job. Truth is important to them. They're definitely not in a place where they're losing faith, are they? They know God. They know what they need to know. They are enduring persecution and not growing weary. I, I think there's very little of us who could say, I, I don't grow weary in my trial that I walk through. Right? I think we all say, whoa, I, I, I struggle with weariness. I struggle with perspective. Yet the Ephesus church is doing well. They're doing really good at that. They're really standing on truth and really good at endurancing and putting their, their nose to the grindstone, if you would. First John 4, 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God or from many false prophets. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. They are doing what First John, what John told them to do in First John, is to test the spirits, test well, who, what the message is, test its legitimacy, right? And they've tested these people who claim to be apostles sent from God, and they said, "No, you're not. Go away." But, ooh, I don't like that word. You know, my wife, she's so wonderful. She's the greatest. And she knows I like words of affirmation. So she'll be affirming me on something. Oh, I'm so glad you do this. I appreciate this about you. And then the hammer sometimes falls. Not always, because she appreciates me without that word. But the hammer falls at times, because I know she's building me up to let me down, <laughs> but, but, Jesus says, but I have this against you, church of Ephesus, I have this against you, you have abandoned the love you had at first, 
Again, this isn't a matter of them losing faith in Christ. This is a matter of them losing relationship and perspective. They abandoned the love they had at first. Abandoned love. Forced love. His rebuke. He buttered them up, and then he rebuked them. Abandoned forced love. What is this forced love? Well, there's seven areas of love to consider. Seven areas of love to consider. We're going to go through each of them, um, and then we'll draw a conclusion. Um, and I hope you draw the same conclusion as me. But there's seven. I, I like that. Seven is the number of completion and wholeness. I did not plan seven. I just thought through and how I come up with seven. There probably is more than seven, but I choose to focus on seven. Seven areas of love. Forced. Forced love. God loves us. God loves you. God loves you. Say, God loves me. I am loved by God. God's love for us. That's the first one. And in all reality, in my opinion, all loves grow from this love. If we do not have this love, understand this love and grasp this love, then all other loves are going to be extremely hard to do consistently. And especially hard to do while we're in defense of the faith. While we're in persecution. You see, they had abandoned love while in persecution. They had abandoned love while defending the faith. They had said, they had forgot to be winsome. Oh, the Lord judge you <laughs> and born you up. <laughs> Go to hell then. That was their attitude. So first we have God's love for, of us. Then, well, we have some verses because it's important. To know that God loves us. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners. And then later on in the passage he talks about enemies. So sinners and enemies of God. Christ died for us. Romans 5.8. And let's not forget 1 John 4.19. We love because he first loved us. First love. Secondly, is the love of God. The love of God. To love God. We are to love God. Deuteronomy 6, 5. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the first and greatest commandment, which all the law is summarized in according to Jesus. We're called to love God. But if we do not receive God's love, then we cannot give God love. And you said, well, I received love in 1922. No, none of you did that way back then. <laughs> 1980, 1990. Receiving love is a thing that we do every day. Not that we get saved every day, but we need to walk in the love that God has poured out onto us and to be walking and receiving that love so we can be graceful people. 
love of brothers and sisters. When I say brothers, I mean both brothers and sisters. Love of each other. Sometimes there's love lost within our, our brothers and sisters, isn't there? Because we tend to annoy each other, push each other buttons. I say things and stick my foot in my mouth more often than not, right? And so do you, right? But we are called to love each other. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also love one another. If we do this without God's love, does it work? No. Two here, same both, but love of neighbor and love of self. Love of neighbor and love of self. Now, loving self has to be in proper perspective. I get that. But it's still a criteria. Leviticus 19.18, also reported several, repeated several times in the New Testament, you shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love of neighbor, love of self. And many of you have trouble with loving yourself. In fact, most of you, some of you walk in judgment of yourself every single day. And you are far worse of an accuser of yourself than the, even the enemy does. He doesn't even have to do anything, really. All he has to do is flick a thought your way. And then you grab that thought and you run with it and you run yourself into the ground. Because you do not love yourself. Because you're not receiving the love from God and walking in his love to love yourself. All you're doing is hating on yourself. Love of neighbor. <laughs> we all have neighbors that we don't love. <laughs> A little annoying. Neighbor. Got that annoying neighbor. Or maybe you're the annoying neighbor. Ever think of that? I know some of you live out in the middle of nowhere and you have no neighbors. Two miles away. Hello, over there. Quit shooting those guns. Boom. Don't shut off any Tannerite. Boom. I don't know. Some of us have close neighbors, right? Love of neighbor. And really, by the Good Samaritan standard and the parable of the Good Samaritan, everyone is our neighbor. The love of neighbor. I saved the best for last. <laughs> Number seven. Yeah, I know. We don't want that one to be there, but it is. And it's not once, but it's several times. It's in Romans, it's in Galatians. Love of enemy. Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. You have heard it said that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemies 
and pray for those who persecute you. How do I do that? God's love for you. God's got you. If God is for you, then who can be against you? We love our enemies by by receiving God's love and being in God's love and living out of that security. You hate your enemies when you're living in insecurity and you think you have to do something to defend oneself from that enemy. You see? But if you know God has got you, and you know that everything that happens to you is come through the hands of love from God and that he's working all things together for your good, then you are free to love your enemies. And love, what is love? Love is to seek the best of the other. Love often takes sacrifice. In fact, most of the time it does. When Jesus, I mean, God talks about showing his love towards us, what was his ultimate act of love? The cross, death, ultimate sacrifice. So at the core of true love is not warm, fuzzy feelings. At the core of true love is sacrifice. Seeking the well-being of the other. Christ sought our well-being upon that cross so that we could have union with God. Wow. So we could be partakers of the divine trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Why? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. It's not raining enough this morning, John. I'm sorry. Been praying for more. But God sent this rain and this rain has fell on John's land and other people's lands as well. Right? Love your enemies. So which of these loves had been abandoned? There are seven of them. Which had been abandoned? I would say the first love. And what is the first love? God's love for you. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. What is their first love? It's receiving God's love to give to others. And receiving God's love is not a one-time event. It isn't. Receiving God's love is a day-to-day, minute-by-minute, second-by-second for some of us thing. Well, we have to continually remind ourselves that God loves us, and because he loves us, we are acting out of that security and that safety And some of us don't feel safe at all. Some of us think God hates us and that he's out there with his 
proverbial microscope like the ant and trying to fry us. That's not who God is. God loves us. And that's where I have to start. God loves me. Yeah, God loves you, Olivia. She's clapping her hands. She's agreeing. Do I receive God's love into my heart and into my life? And, and am I allowing that to permeate me from the head to my toes so that when I react to what's going on in somebody else's life or to somebody who's persecuting me or to a theological debate that I speak out of the confidence of God's love for me rather than my incompetence and my insecurity that I might be wrong or that somehow God has to be defended or that somehow that person needs to be judged and I'm going to be the instrument of that. No, I don't because I receive God's love. And I stand in God's love. Revelation 2.5, remember therefore where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to the church of Ephesus and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. I just want to make uh, one thing very clear. Uh, singular pronouns are used throughout this uh, uh, letter to the church. And that is not breaking Greek grammar. Technically, it would break English grammar. Okay? But in Greek grammar, they use the singular person pronoun for collectives all the time. Okay? Just so you know. This you is talking to the churches, but we make up the church. Okay? So I want to make this clear. And the lampstand represents the church, not you as an individual. This is very important. Okay? So Jesus' solution to kindling love, which we as individuals need to do, but we also need to do as a church. First, remember. Remember God's love. Receive God's love. Remember that. Hey, yeah, I remember when I was in, couched in the love of God and I was acting and living out of that reality. I remember that. Remember God's love. And if you never maybe even have felt that emotionally, then remember the truths <laughs> that God loves you and try to step back into that reality. Second, repent. Repent of forgetting and not practicing and receiving God's love. Repent. I was wrong. I am not walking in love. I repent. I'm sorry I snipped at you. <laughs> right? That was not loving. I was not seeking the interest. Your best interest. Right? So remember, repent, and repeat. Remember, repent, and repeat. Do the things you did at first. And, then, and what is repeat? Keep receiving and giving God's love. Repeat receiving God's love. Repeat it. Do it every day, every minute. I'm going to walk in the grace of God, the love of God, so that I can be a graceful person. Graceful, full of grace to minister 
to those around me and to minister to myself. Because God loves me. God loves you. The consequence? If we, the local church, quit receiving and giving God's love, we don't do that. If we become all about doctrine and all about uh, being right, and we forget love, though maybe we're enduring well and, 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 and pushing through well, but if we forget and quit receiving and giving God's love, we will die as a church. There's many dead churches because they have stopped this. There may be a building and a few souls there, but they are dead. And some churches are closed. There's a church here in town. It's no longer, it's a building. There's no longer a church there. It's dead. I don't know their story, but churches come and churches go. And this is one thing that kills churches to quit giving and receiving love. And if you are as an individual, this is one thing that makes, doesn't make you lose your salvation, but it makes you miserable. If you're not giving and receiving love or receiving and giving love, you are miserable. I know that. Why? Because I've been there before. And when I'm there, I am miserable. Because I'm not walking in the grace that God has given me. So we must give and receive love as a church. Yes, we, we hold true. Yes, we endure persecution. And we will be enduring more and more persecution as we become more of a minority in our country. But the question is, are we give, receiving God's love and giving it in the midst of that? In the midst of preaching truth, are we still loving that individual? Or have we wrapped that individual right together with what they're doing? It says that the lampstand, which holds the lamp of the Spirit, will be removed. And if the lampstand is removed, what happens to the Spirit? Spirit removes his presence. Right? That's the imagery, that revelation that John is communicating. Do you want the presence of the Spirit amongst us? Yeah, we do. In fact, many people I talk to, that's like, oh, yeah, that's a mark of a good, healthy church is that I experience God there. If we want the presence of the Spirit amongst us and we want our lampstand to be in place, we must give and receive love. We must receive love first, right? Who do, whose love do we receive, church? God's love. And then we give it to others. Six areas, right? Love of God, love of brother, love of neighbor, love of self, and love of enemy. 
Yet this I have, this you have. You hate, <laughs> well, he's all talking about love and now he says this. But you hate, and I think he says this for a distinction, you hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Does he say you hate the Nicolaitans? No, he says you hate the works of the Nicolaitans. Jesus' commendation, his second commendation that's sandwiching this rebuke, he says they hate the works of the Nicolaitans. This is that a very defining thing. It's not called to, when we love others, to love what they do. It's called to love them because they're created in the image of God, because God died for them, and he wants to see them saved. Okay? And it's how we talk and how we, we uh, call out sin in a proper way, in a winsome way to an unbeliever. We do not clean the fish before it's in the boat. It doesn't work. I've heard a lot of fish stories. He was this big. I swear I saw him in the water. I, and he got away. They didn't whip out the fillet knife and be like, I'm getting that fish. Right? The fish has to be in the boat. What do I mean by being in the boat? It means that they have to confess Jesus is Lord and believe in the heart that God raised him from the dead. And they will be saved. And then we can begin to deal with holiness. But not before. And a big mistake of the church, and in cultural war, that the church is engaged in in America, is that they are trying to clean fish before they're caught. And that is not the job of the church. The job of the church is to preach the gospel and bring them to Jesus who cleans them. That's the job of the church. They hate the works of the Nicolaitans. We have to divine between what people are doing and them as individuals created in the image of God, loved by God. Why hasn't Jesus came yet? He hasn't came because he desires for all to come to repentance. It's a powerful statement. Revelation 2.7 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I don't see any earless people out here today. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Hear Jesus' words spoken through the Spirit. Hear Jesus' words spoken through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking to each of you right now and calling you to receive God's love. And you receive it so you can give it to others. You don't hoard it. It's inexhaustible. Oh, praise the Lord. To the one who conquers, 
while we are more than conquerors in God's love. We conquer through God's love. That's how we conquer. Romans 8, 35 through 37. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We have to step in and uh, understand and be in, formulated in God's love to give love. We love him because he first loved us. We are given the tree of life and the paradise of God. I'm going to talk about this on Wednesday night. So Jesus' solution to kindling love. Number one, say it with me, remember. Remember God's love. Number two, repent. Repent of forgetting and not practicing and receiving God's love. Lastly, but so important, repeat. Repeat. Keep receiving and giving God's love. Keep doing it. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you as a church and we repent. We repent of forgetting your love in the times that we have, and we confess that to you, and we thank you that you already cleansed us, and now that we are aligned with you, we keep get receiving and giving your love. We, we, we determine as a church right now to do that, and we determine also as individuals who make up the church to do that as well. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love, and may we continue to walk in that reality of receiving your love every single day, and letting it permeate and affect our actions. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.